Uh, Let me pray. God, thanks for your word and thanks for every gift that you give us, especially the gift of one another. Father, this morning I just pray that you would speak to us. I just know so many of us are walking with so much stuff that we just need an encouragement for and to hear from you. And so God, may that happen in your word this morning. Um, God, teach us and encourage us and challenge us and make us more like you so that in the stuff we face, we would, know, we would be able to do what you would do. Um, yeah, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a look at this. Wow. This is a huge house. Yeah. What a day, huh? It's an epic day, yeah, you know. We finally have proof that Randall had sex at least one time in his life. <laughs> so that's exciting. Yeah, everything is falling into place for him. Mm-hmm. Which is great, right? Because if Randall figures his crap out, we're like five years away from you and me figuring out ours, right? And I met that great new guy. Yeah, and, 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 uh, and I'm crushing it. Right? In L.A.? I'm telling you, it's all happening for us, you know? It is. It's happening for us in the 20s. Mm-hmm. Crushing the 20s. Crushing the 20s. Bam. Mm. I haven't had an audition in like six months. The new guy's married. Maybe a little more. Okay. Married, huh? But he's nice, which makes it harder. He asks questions. He knows my class schedule. I mean, come on. That's you know, that's that's a that's a low bar. You really haven't had an audition in six months. No, it's been more like a year, actually. Where are you at? I mean, what are you, you still sitting in your car, eating fast food, staring at where the house used to be? He's gone. Okay, and he's not coming back. And even if you sit there in the exact same spot that you were when he left, he's not. This Is Us is a show that tracks the Pearson family through all of their lives together, and it begins when uh, their parents have the three kids, Randall, Kevin, and Kate, and it begins with them as just infants, and then the show jumps around to them as 15 or 16, to them in their mid-30s, and then two weeks ago, we got to see them kind of in their mid-20s. And Randall, one of the brothers, is, has this big house, is getting, he's married, his, his wife has just had their first child. Meanwhile, uh, Kevin and Kate, it, it's not, working out for them so much. Kevin hasn't had an audition in LA for a year. Now, later on in the show, he, he is cast in a hit comedy called The Manny, where he mostly just walks around shirtless, uh, which is the whole point of the show, and then Kate becomes his manager, and so they kind of finally make it, but right now, they joke to each other. They say, we're crushing our 20s, but the reality is they're being crushed by their 20s, right? They're not crushing, and all of the millennials in the room nodded, right? Um, what I love, what I love about my job and my life right now is walking with us like in our 20s and 30s because uh, 
almost everybody in their 20s and 30s do not feel like they are crushing their 20s and 30s. They feel like they are being crushed by their 20s and 30s. And that this whole lie of adulthood being awesome was really bad. And wouldn't it be great to go back to like when somebody fed you lunch every day? right, and paid your bills, and some of you are still letting your parents pay your bills, and that's okay, because we're just in it together, even if your parents wouldn't, but here's the deal, you don't have to be 20 or 30 to feel like you're being crushed, I mean, at Grace Campus and here, I pass through a lot of people in their 50s and 60s and 70s who are feeling crushed by their 50s and crushed by their 60s and crushed by their 70s, you know, as, as millennials, we all go through this, like, quarter-life crisis, almost everybody has done it, including me, and about 25 or 26, you just kind of lose your nerve for about six months because you don't have the job you thought you'd have, you don't have the house you thought you'd have, you don't have the kid you thought you'd have, you've not met the person that you thought you would have the kid in the house with, and so you kind of lose your nerve. But people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, man, your kids aren't turning out the way they thought, you're in this job that you don't really like, your retirement account isn't as big as you thought it was gonna be, your friends have this house in Florida, and you're driving a 20-year-old car and kind of hoping that it sticks together, your body's falling apart. I mean, here's the reality, everybody, at some point, I think, in fact, everybody at most points feels crushed by their life. They don't feel like they're crushing it. They feel like they're being crushed by it. And the truth is, you can be crushed by any decade. You can wrestle with feelings of emptiness that these things that you chased, these things that you sought after, aren't really working the way that you thought they would. And if you've ever felt that way, if you felt empty, if you felt like things are meaningless, if you felt like you did all of this for nothing, if you feel that way, then you feel exactly like the teacher does who is the main character of a book called Ecclesiastes. So go ahead and turn Ecclesiastes, um, turn to Ecclesiastes in your Bible, page 394, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is written in a book found in the wisdom literature section of your Bible. Wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, a Song of Solomons. And Ecclesiastes, first of all, by the way, if you want to know who God is, read Psalms. If you want to know what God wants from you, read Proverbs. This is a general rule for life. If Proverbs is written by this bright and cheery 18-year-old girl, who has a 4.3 thousand, 4.3 thousand, can you give me a little less, Dan? I just feel like I'm, like, to me it's really loud, but maybe not to you. Um, who has this GPA of 4.3 thousand, and she's done everything right, and she's followed all of the rules, and she's graduated now at the top of her class, and now she's got a full ride to some Ivy League college. That's, that's the writer of Proverbs. Um, the writer of Ecclesiastes is this 50 or 60 year old man who likes to sit in a dark room and smoke cigars and says to the girl, just you wait. He has done everything right and it's not turned out. Steph said to me, Proverbs is written by Rory Gilmore and Ecclesiastes is written by Kurt. Okay, for those of you, um, okay, it, it, the writer of Ecclesiastes builds this character he calls Koholeth, who has done all the right things, who has done everything right, has followed all the rules that Proverbs lays out, has done everything right, and it's not worked out for him. It's this gloomy, doomy, dark book. And, and the main character of Ecclesiastes is the teacher. It even says it on the screen, the teacher. Now, what you need to appreciate is the author of Ecclesiastes is not the teacher, the author and the teacher have different opinions. So the author employs a character called Koholeth, called the teacher, to make his point, but the author doesn't fully believe that, and we'll see that in a minute. 
the, the author uses this koholath and he, and he says this in verse two, everything is meaningless. Everything is completely meaningless. I mean, have you not gone home after a crazy day or a crazy week or a crazy month or a crazy decade and said, what is the point? Like, why am I doing any of this? It is all so pointless. If, on the other hand, maybe, maybe it's Ecclesiastes is written by that kid that wore all black in English class and just very quietly wrote poetry in the back of the room, right? Um, Ecclesiastes goes on. If you look at Ecclesiastes chapter one, it says in verse three, what do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets and then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north and around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Those are just some of like the opening verses. It's just like so gritty and real. And there's a lot of people that have said to me, Ecclesiastes is like my favorite book of the Bible. And I say like, why? And they're like, because it's just honest, right? Because that's how we feel. It's just honest about how hard life is and how, how much we struggle. And, and that one of my favorite other lines is in chapter two, verses 13 to 15, which I don't, I don't know if that's on the screen. Chapter two, verses 13 to 15, he says, this is Koholeth. I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they're going, but the fools walk in the dark. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Verse 15, both will die. I love this book, right? You can be wise, you can do all the right things, but you know what, at the end, you're gonna die. You know what? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? I don't know. It doesn't matter. We're all going to die anyway, right? And the whole book of Ecclesiastes is Koholeth chasing after everything, friendship and love and money and wisdom and work and fame, and he keeps coming up empty, and he uses the same word to describe it over and over again. He says it's meaningless, which is this Hebrew word called hevel, hevel. And, and hevel doesn't mean like literal meaninglessness. It's more of a poetic word. It's a word that's used for smoke, that you reach out to grab, but what happens when you grab smoke? What is there? Anybody? Nothing. It's a word used for chasing after the wind, and we feel it on our face, and it blows the leaves around on my deck, which really need taken care of. And, um, and, 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 but we go to chase the wind, and if you chase it, do you ever catch it? No. He looks at all of his life, and everything is, everything is hevel. Everything is meaningless, everything is useless. He's chased after all of the things that we have been told from childhood to chase after and has kept coming up empty. He feels crushed. He feels crushed by his life. He's not crushing it, he's being crushed by it. The teacher makes his final warnings in chapter 12 and it's then that the author takes the mic back from Koholath and has something to say. Flip to chapter 12. <clears throat> Look at chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. This is the teacher no longer is speaking the mic, the author is, and he says, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do. 
including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Everything is hevel. Everything is meaningless. Everything is like smoke. We grab onto it, it fades away. We grab onto it, it doesn't make us happy. It doesn't make us feel the way that we thought we would make us feel. It keeps being challenging. It keeps being hard. Even that thing that you have longed after and desired more than anything else, you get it and you find out that you still keep coming up empty. Everything is hevel. Everything is meaningless. Everything is fruitless until, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, until God steps into the picture. God is the only thing that once grasped actually has substance. God is the only thing that once encountered actually has the chance to make us feel like it's not all stupid. And so, of course, our question is, what kind of God is he? This God that steps into the book of Ecclesiastes and ends the book of Ecclesiastes as if to say, here's where meaning is found. What kind of What kind of God is he? Take a look at this next clip. Really haven't had an audition in six months? No, it's been more like a year, actually. Where are you at? I mean, what are you, you still sitting in your car, eating fast food, staring at where the house used to be? He's gone. Okay, and he's not coming back. And even if you sit there in the exact same spot that you were when he left, he's not coming back. I know. And he wouldn't want you to stay. Not if there was nothing for you there. You know what he want for you? Everything. take an acting class, you know, it's join a crappy improv troupe. I guess I could do that. That's the spirit. Yes. I bet you're hilarious. I'm probably a pretty funny guy. <laughs> here's, here's what we love about this show. What, this is what we love, is it's true. This is why we love this show. It's because it's true. And I don't mean like, oh, the things that happen to them could happen to anybody true. I mean that it echoes of a deeper, truer story. C.S. Lewis says that any story we love is because, is, that we love it because it reminds us of the gospel. Any story that we love, C.S. Lewis says, is because it echoes the gospel. And every one of these shows, especially the clips that we've shown here, I don't know if you've noticed it, it's like in the middle of a crisis, they all stop for a second and try to remember what their dad would do. And even though as adults he's not there and we don't know why he's not there, although all of us have guesses, we, we, they stop and they say, I wonder what dad would do. Even though you never see him, he's still a character in the show. And it's upon reflecting upon like, who dad is and what he would do that the, the story kind of takes a better trajectory for the rest of that. And, and even though it makes us cry like babies, um, every time we cry because it's true. And, and, listen, and look at what Kevin said. I think I, I typed it up on the next one, Dan. He says, to, he says to Kate, he wouldn't want you to stay, not if there was nothing for you there. Do you know what he'd want for you? He'd want everything. He'd want everything. God doesn't want us to stay at meaninglessness. God doesn't want us to be stuck at being crushed by our 20s or our 30s or our 40s or our 50s or our 60s or our 70s. 
He doesn't want it to be empty. He wants us to have everything, and that's the very God that steps into the book of Ecclesiastes. Listen to, what God, listen to God, God's description of himself through scripture. I don't have these on the screen, Dan. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Paul says, my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Paul says, for you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by, your po- by his poverty you might be made rich. Paul says, and I do have this one, Dan, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? He wouldn't want you to stay there. Not if there was nothing for you. Do you know what he'd want? He'd want to give you everything. Won't he also give us, Paul says, everything else? You know, God steps into the story of Ecclesiastes. He steps into our meaninglessness and our havel, our feelings of being crushed by whatever you feel like is crushing you right now. And he steps in and proves himself to be a God who wants us to have everything, a God who gives. Our chasing of the wind, our grabbing at smoke, our emptiness, our meaninglessness is transformed by the God who gives Now, we look at this phrase, and it says, won't he also give us everything else? And we immediately materialize that. The house, the car, the stuff, the family. I mean, late-night TV preachers have been making money off this verse since Jesus wore short pants. But if you are following Jesus for what Jesus will give you and not simply to have Jesus, you're doing it wrong. If possessing anything else but Jesus is what entices you to Jesus, it's not Jesus that you're interested in at all. It's some other version of him. And so if you're following Jesus because it's respectable or comfortable or the right thing to do, you're not following Jesus. If you're not following Jesus to get more of Jesus, you're doing it wrong because the best gift that God has isn't the things he gives us in addition to Jesus. It's in the giving of Jesus himself, period, that is God's greatest gift. The best and only gift that God has for us is himself, period. This God who lives eternally as three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit, decided in eternity past while talking among themselves that the Father would send the Son and the Son would give the Spirit. At the very core, at the very nature of God's life, of the inner workings of the triune God, what we call the imminent trinity, how he works with himself, is is a desire to be giving, is a posture of generosity is this is this giving of himself not giving us stuff but giving us Jesus and guys let me tell you wealth is having joy even in the midst of cancer wealth is there's this woman at Grace Campus who uh, is real sweet real dear and uh, she had a traumatic brain injury from a brain bleed and um, saw her last weekend she could talk saw her middle this week she couldn't talk Sorry, yesterday she could kind of talk. It's up and down. But can I tell you what? She can't find the word for ambulance. She can't find the word for house, but she can recite chapters of scripture. That's wealth. That's wealth. 
wealth is, as I'm reading scripture to her, and the only, seriously, the guys, the only thing she could say is, oh my, oh my goodness. I start reading Isaiah to her, and she's mouthing the words along. She can't say them out loud, but she's mouthing them. That's wealth. Wealth is having Jesus in the midst of the depression and the anxiety, in the midst of the miscarriage and the broken relationship, in the midst of the marriage has turned cold. It's having Jesus and waking up every day, even with the disappointment and the hurt and the frustration, and taking the next step. That's wealth. Wealth is that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And even though some days we wake up and it feels like the tide of the battle is way against our favor, wealth is that in truth we are more than conquerors over what ails us and what plagues us. The God that steps into Ecclesiastes wants to make us wealthy and he, by giving us his son. And that is ultimately giving us everything. And, and when God steps into the, to Ecclesiastes, it's almost like that scene in The Wizard of Oz, you know how like the first couple moments of the movie are black and white and then when they go to Oz, it's color? That's what God does when he steps in with his generosity. It turns our black and white, monochromatic, colorblind lives into these bright, 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 bright colors. And if you wanna know why we do like the Summit Thanksgiving and the Summit Christmas, and those of you who are there, and, and Melissa's on staff there so she can speak to this, I mean like, um, it is like, the brightest color, when you are in the room when we are feeding these kids Thanksgiving, it is the brightest color you have ever seen in your life. And it's, it's not like they just, we moved from like black and white TV to like rabbit ears. It's like we moved from like black and white to HD to 3D to whatever we have like 20 years from now, like virtual reality, I can feel it on my skin color. I mean, it is the brightest possible thing because when God enters into our stories with his generosity, most chiefly in his son, our world, which is so dark and gloomy and of shadow, becomes bright again. It becomes bright again. And as the people of Jesus, guys, this is us. As the people of Jesus, this is us. We are inheritors of the generosity of God. We are crushed by life. We are chasing after smoke and we keep coming up empty-handed. Even the thing that we wanted, once we have it, we're looking for the next thing, but we come to find a God who gives to us. And as the people of Jesus, this is us. Generosity isn't something that we do because that's what it means to do churchy things and we gotta pass this bucket. No, generosity is at the very core of who we are. Zach said it earlier and I taught him to say that. Um, Zach said we respond to God's generosity with generosity of our own. But as I was writing this sermon, I realized that I taught Zach wrong and I've been teaching you wrong, because if we have any generosity, it's because it's been given to us. My blue eyes are hereditary. My blonde hair, which is thinning by the moment, is hereditary. Thanks, Grandpa. But if I have generosity, it's not because I'm so great, it's because it's in my bones and under my skin and somehow deep now in my DNA as someone who calls on the name of Jesus to take what I have and give it away. And this is why we delight as a church in interrupting people's lives, the love and grace of Jesus through generosity because we love to make the world more colorful. I mean, that's really what it's about. It's about adding color to a shadow, shadowed world. We lay down what is precious to us. This is a core value of our church. We lay down what is precious to us for the sake of the gospel and the sake of our city. We lay down what is precious to us for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the city, in part because whatever we have wasn't really ours in the first place. 
That's usually offensive to people that work really hard. I mean, because I work really hard too, so I'm right there with you. I mean, I work my tail off for, for what we have, right? But at the end of the day, if I'm working really hard, it's with the strength that God provides, so I don't really have anything anyway. What I'm giving back to God was his in the first place, but at a deeper level, we wrap ourselves our lives and our habits and our spending around Jesus, around the generosity of God. And as we do, we watch our lives turn from black and white to color because our dad doesn't want us to stay there because there's nothing there for us. He wants us to have everything. And the irony is we only discover that we have everything when we give more of it away. That's what's crazy. We lay down what is precious to us for the sake of the gospel, not because we want to keep the lights on or pay staff or vote with our money or because, well, I go to Sam's Club and I pay my membership fees and I get samples. So I pay money at church to get samples. That's not how that works. We pay, we, we, offer, we offer to God what was already his because I am so radically transformed by what I'm experiencing here that I want other people to experience it also, period. That's it. What you do with your money is God's best playground for your discipleship. What, God, what you do with your money is God's playground for your discipleship. You know, what do our grandmas say? That the way to, a man's, way to a man's heart is through his stomach, right? Listen, the way to our hearts for Jesus is through our wallets. Because how we spend and what we spend is a profound indicator. Do you remember a couple weeks ago we looked at that text where it says, those who have been forgiven much love much? The amount of money that you give away to the gospel and to our city is entirely in proportion to the amount of transformation you're experiencing. When you've experienced little transformation, five bucks does it. But when you've experienced profound transformation in your own life, you're like, Jesus, take it. Like, it's yours in the first place anyway. We lay down what is precious to us for the sake of the city for this one reason. The text, does, the text does not say God so loved Christians that he gave his one only son. What does it say? For God so loved the world. And so we give away what is precious to us and interrupt people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus with, with Thanksgiving dinners and sweatpants and, at, and, and food at the ministries that we do at Grace Campus because we believe that generosity is what transforms dark and shadowy places and helps us see people see this God who wants to give, give us everything. And I know what you're thinking. Uh, you're thinking all churches want is my money. You're thinking... Of course, all, all he wants is my money. And let me tell you this, from the bottom of my heart, I don't want your money and I don't need your money. I don't care. I don't. What I want for you is to fully experience the heart of God, which you only experience as you're being generous, period. If you're not giving, you are lessening your experience of God. That's all there is to it. You're thinking all churches think about is money. It's all about the bottom line. Do you know why churches think about money? Because churches are full of people that think about money. What did you think about this week? Money. Unless you did not swipe your debit card since last Sunday, and if you didn't, you're an insane person, all you thought about this week was money. Here's what God wants for you, is to not constantly be freaking out about how much is left in your checkbook. What God wants for you is to not live in constant anxiety about your money. We have to talk about what God wants for you before he wants anything from you. And what he wants for you is to chill out and be at peace. And the most peaceful people when it comes to their finances are the people that give away most of it. And that might just be because after they've given it all away, there's just nothing left to worry about. I don't know. But the most peaceful people are the most generous people. 
because they've come to experience God's provision for their life. They give it away and they just trust that whatever need is out there, God's gonna provide it. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I, give, I can't give my money, so I'll go ahead and give my time. And that's great. Nothing we do happens without time and talent. But nothing we do happens also without treasure. And if you're giving your time and your talent, but not your treasure, you just told me that your treasure is more valuable to you than your time and your talent. And we give what is precious to us for the sake of the gospel. And if that means our treasure, then that's it. If you give your money, but not your time and talent, we still have the same problem. You're not being pervasively generous like the gospel calls us to be. Some of you are thinking, you don't know my situation. I got student loans out the wazoo. You think I'm on a fixed income. You think I've got, I've got this bill. I, I, I only work part-time. Here, here's a funny thing. My master's degree, I think I've mentioned this a couple of times, my master's degree is in, in emerging adult spirituality, so 20s and 30s. No matter how much money you make in your 20s and 30s, you never think that you have enough money. People with six-figure incomes in their 20s and 30s assume that they don't have enough money, right? Now, there's priority conversations, there's how are we spending our money thing, but at its core, everybody doesn't feel like, I, I, I have never met anybody that says, I think I have enough money. The only kind of people that do say that are generous people. Everyone lives on a fixed income, or everybody at least lives like they're on a fixed income, but here's what you need to understand about your situation. Here's what you need to understand about the heart of God when it comes to giving. Paul says, God will generously provide all you need. And you will always have everything you need for all the daily Starbucks runs you take. No? Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to take that vacation to Boca. No? Not that these things are wrong. God gives us all good things to enjoy. But he says, God will generously provide all you need and you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to do what, church? Share with others. No matter how much you bring in at the end of the month, you always have more than enough to give. And, 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 and when you give, it is only then that you really fully experience the heart of God as a provider. It is only then that you really experience the heart of God as a provider. Here's the closest you will ever hear me get to becoming one of those late night health and wealth preachers. It was super funny, our sound guy and tech guy at, at Grace Church turned the lights down because I was like, only these people on at night. And so he turned the lights all off. Um, so when you give, you will find God provide for you. Um, we've had a lot of medical stuff in the last 16 months and uh, had like this $6,000 bill show up at the house and I was up all night because I was like, well, we don't have that lying around anywhere. And so Steph calls the next, first thing the next morning about this bill and they're like, oh, well, if your insurance didn't cover it, it's only 200 bucks. And I was like, well, first of all, why wasn't that on the bill, right? Like, why wasn't that written down? But okay, Steph was like, I will give you my credit card right now, right? Because like, what if we, I mean, we've had, we've had blood test stuff like written off. We've had bills totally disappear. Um, we, we, I, I just got a full ride to seminary for this year, next year, which is like a meager, like $25,000-ish, right? And the only thing I know that why this happens is that we, are, we give regularly, we give generously, like we, we give. Um, because we believe that whatever, this, whatever we have is ultimately God's. And maybe that's especially more true because let's be honest, my salary is paid by the sum of, like a fraction of the sum of what goes into that bucket. But when we get these bills and it feels like we don't have anything to pay and we're giving, what, we're giving our money away, we ultimately say, well, God, this is your money. And so we'll have these things happen where like, a couple years ago, I needed to buy a suit um, because the suits that Michael and I wore for our weddings, which were in like about a month apart from each other, I had, you know, somehow it had shrunk in my closet, the suit. 
I don't know if the, the, the humidity in Ohio, it just got smaller, and so I needed a suit, and we just didn't have money for that. And uh, so I'm like, I don't even know, like I'm thinking like, do I need to call my mom? What do I need to do? And then a check pops in the mail, um, and it was money that I had earned from something else, but a check pops in the mail for exactly the cost of the suit plus dinner that night. He will meet your needs. I mean, this is the heart of God. And when you, here's, here's ultimately, giving is like getting tattoos. Giving is like getting, you know people that get tattoos, they're always like, you can't just get one. Because like once you get the one, I don't have one, which is kind of surprising, I don't know why to me. And every once in a while I think about getting the word unashamed right here, and then I'm like, I could just get like a little bracelet and then be done, right? And then I'll be 80 and why did I do this? And I want to use my money for other things like Nintendo Switch games. So, um, but giving your like tattoos, because when you give a little bit and you see God provide for you, you're like, I kind of want to up the ante on Jesus a little bit. So you start like giving more and more and more away and you find such freedom in that. And so here, here's my challenge for you, a um, couple things. If you're already giving, my encouragement to you is to give a little bit more next year than you are this year. So every year, Steph and I ask if we can be more generous with our money, not less, okay? So that's a key thing. You're always moving toward more generosity, not less. If you've never given before, Make a commitment from now to the end of the year to give the same amount every Sunday or every month or whatever you're gonna do, online giving a lot, like 90% of the stuff that we bring in at this campus is online. Uh, make a commitment and if you feel like at the end of the year, which is like six weeks from now, if you feel like at the end of the year you gave to what God's doing through regeneration and you didn't experience the heart of God, you didn't see him provide for you or you just didn't find joy in that, I will give you your money back. And by I, I mean the church. We'll figure out a way to do that legally. But um, I'm serious. If you give, um, and, and here's what's crazy, by the way, that idea of millennials don't give. Last year, we did a six-week series on giving. So if you're hating this, just imagine being here last fall. We actually grew through that series. It was crazy. Um, most pastors are afraid to talk about giving, and I'm like, why? Um, so we did six weeks on it, and our average weekly income went from about $150 to $200 to $900 a week. That's crazy, right? I mean, that's crazy. And, and it was more than we needed, and we were able to do some really cool things last year, and now we've kind of planned on that continuing to grow for the next year. But if you are giving, how can you be more generous than you were already? And if you're not giving, start giving generously, start giving joyfully, give it regularly, and if at the end of the year you feel like that was a waste, we'll pay you back, I promise. But here's the deal. This is ultimately at stake here is your experience of God, not my paycheck, not anybody's paycheck, not how we do ministry. What's, what's at stake is your experience of the heart of God, period. The heart of the God who steps into our black and white days and our feelings of being crushed, and he steps in, and when he does, he gives. And so we wrap ourselves around him. We wrap ourselves around that story. We wrap ourselves around this God who wants to give, and we discover that it really is true what Jesus said. It's not a Christmas movie thing. It's not a Hallmark movie thing. It's a Jesus thing. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let me pray. God, you, um, you have been so generous with us, and uh, we're so thankful. And so we pray that you would uh, meet our needs, that, God, you would shake us into more generosity. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.